Hello, my name is Elena. Hi, my name is Valerie. My name is Brooke. My name is Chris. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill. And welcome to Love Chapel Hill. And welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission. Where our name is our mission. To love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. To love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. We're glad you're with us today. Hey everyone, this is Joel, and I just wanted to bring you to our location at Coker Arboretum that we will be meeting here in the month of June, okay? So uh, May 23rd is our first regathering date, and that will be at the Forest Theater. But in the month of June, all the months, all the Sundays in June, we will be here at the Coker Arboretum. This place is gorgeous. It's actually my first time being here, and I just absolutely love it, and I cannot wait to see all of you here in the month of June. But as we prepare, to regather, I also want to ask everyone uh, if you are inclined and you want to help jump into the mission of Love Chapel Hill and loving others, uh, also by helping provide uh, services on our Sunday morning gatherings, we need your help. Uh, very specifically, we need people to welcome people to our locations of gathering at the Forest Theater and here at Coker. Uh, we also will need people to help hand out water on those really hot summer days. So if you're interested in helping in any of those ways, or even if you want to help jump in and join our Quest Kids team in helping the kids learn and love and find more about Jesus, we need your help. So to do that, you can just email me, joel at lovechapelhill.com. So reach out, let us know you're interested, and we can find the right place for you. Hey Love Chapel Hill, it's Brooke with Connections. I just wanted to let you know that we are still hosting the watch party every Sunday at 10 a.m. So if you want to come and join us, please check out our website for more information to join us. We'll be hosting the watch party until May 23rd, which is the day that we will start to regather in person. But don't worry, if you can't yet come to regathering with us in person, we will still offer an online version of the service. So please make sure to be on the lookout for that information. We will offer that version for those of you who can't come in person or who don't feel comfortable yet joining us. So we hope to see you all on Sundays at 10 a.m. Hi, Love Chapel Hill family. This is Dominique checking in to share a little bit about our children's ministry Quest Kids with you. If you are a family that's been with us for a little while or maybe you're joining more recently and you're looking for a way for your kids to be plugged in, please feel free to join us on Sunday mornings via Zoom at 10 a.m. We have a live Zoom session where we start off just kind of checking in with your kids, asking how the week is going, sharing prayer requests so that we can know how to best pray for them during the week. Um, we have an interactive Bible story as well as games. And um, we just have a very loving group of children as well as the volunteers who are amazing that um, work to get your kids plugged in so that they feel connected and that it's a, and create just a very safe space um, for them, even though it's virtual. Um, so they can just feel welcome and like they're getting just like a big hug. Um, it's such a fun space. Um, I love being on on Sunday mornings and um, seeing all the kids connect. And if that is something you're desiring for your kids just to connect, to learn more about their faith, um, or just to learn what that is and what it looks like to walk with Jesus and what that means and what that means for their relationships, where they are as kids and um, how that reflects 
um, who they are as individuals and live that out. Um, this is a great safe space for that and a fun, fun space. We also send out activities that they can do during the week that help them kind of connect back to what we talked about on Sunday mornings. Um, if you have any interest in that, um, please feel free to reach out. My email address is questkids at lovechapelhill.com and I'd love to share more information with you and just connect with you on that. Have a great Sunday.
Baby 
Hey, Love Chapel Hill, a reminder that May 23rd is Pentecost Sunday, and that's the Sunday in the historic church calendar that we celebrate the birth of the global church when the Holy Spirit is poured out on those first believers and the church, the movement of Jesus is unleashed in the world. And so we're going to be celebrating Pentecost Sunday together on May 23rd, and we're really excited about how we get to celebrate that with regathering together for in-person worship. Before we get there, uh, we are still at this point in uh, the season that's known as Eastertide. And Eastertide uh, is the 50 days uh, that fall between the event of Easter that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, uh, marking the resurrection of Jesus, overthrowing death, uh, his victory over sin and death, uh, that runs then all the way to Pentecost Sunday that we'll celebrate on May 23rd. And as we keep moving through Eastertide, we're going to stay in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we are in uh, chapter 13, looking at verses 1 through 9 in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And in this moment, we have Jesus telling one of his most famous parables. Uh, we're studying the teachings of Jesus together uh, during this Eastertide season. And so we're going to lean into this parable today. So it's often called the parable of the sower, sometimes known as the parable of the seeds, sometimes known as the parable of the soils. And you'll understand why it gets all of those names uh, as we read this together. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all of the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Those who have ears, let them hear. So here we have Jesus uh, once again teaching the people, the crowds coming around to hear what Jesus has to say, hanging on every word. I love this moment where he gets into the boat uh, and takes advantage of the acoustics of the surface of the lake in order to speak to the larger crowd so that they'll be able to hear him. Uh, and I love seeing him teach in this kind of setting as well, in this outdoor open air setting. Uh, we see Jesus and carrying his message, we see him bringing his teachings and the teachings about the kingdom uh, absolutely everywhere that he goes. They're not restricted to what are often seen as these holy set aside places, but he's the creator of all things. And so he knows that every space in all of creation is a holy space. And so uh, we see him teaching in the synagogues absolutely throughout his ministry. We see him teaching in the temple courts throughout his ministry. Absolutely. He goes to those places and teaches there 
uh, but he's not restricted to those places. And so his message is overflowing out into the world and into the community around him everywhere that he goes. Uh, the commentator William Barclay refers, this, refers to this as his temple of the open air. That is, he's going through the villages and the city streets. He's carrying the message everywhere he goes. The poet and farmer Wendell Berry uh, talks about how Jesus, he's convinced that Jesus did not come to establish an organized religion, but a disorganized one uh, that spills out of the temple places and into the pathways, into the fields, into the countryside all around us. And we see that happening here. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 and, and the beginning of the, this parable uh, sets in motion a series of seven parables that Jesus tells in this one chapter alone. This whole chapter is dedicated to those parables uh, and then some of Jesus' teaching on why he speaks in parables. Uh, this is the third uh, discourse of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. As we've talked earlier in our series through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we outline the fact that Matthew includes five separate discourses, five separate uh, sections of Jesus's teaching. Um, and that is designed specifically uh, with Matthew writing to a primarily Jewish audience. It's designed specifically to echo uh, the five books of Moses, the Torah. It's at the heart of the Jewish religion and life. And so presenting Jesus in that way. And as he tells the story of Jesus, uh, he shows him bringing these five distinct teaching moments through and collection of his teachings uh, throughout the gospel. And so this is the third of those. And in this telling of this parable in particular, uh, this is referred to as uh, the parable of parables, because in this parable, uh, Jesus teaches us why he speaks in parables. And he also gives us a glimpse of how his parables are going to be received, of what it looks like to receive and to respond to these stories, these images, these teachings of Jesus that he is so extravagantly sowing into our lives. And, and with this question of, do we have the ears to hear? Do we have the eyes to see? And so that's what a parable is designed to do. Uh, almost a third of the teaching of Jesus uh, comes in this kind of form of image or analogy uh, or of parable story, a short story. Uh, and, and what Jesus does so frequently here is he draws an everyday image uh, out of the world around us, out of everyday life. And he takes that everyday image and he infuses it with an, e with an eternal truth and communicates the truth and the mystery of the kingdom to us, which the mysteries of the kingdom, we can never get our minds around unless Jesus opens our minds to them and opens our eyes to them. And so he uses these images as a vehicle, as a pathway, uh, as a lens to help us to see with new vision the reality of the kingdom. He takes what we already see every day and he uses that as a lens to give us new vision, to capture the reality of the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom that are hidden all around us in plain sight. So 
as Jesus goes on in this chapter, uh, the disciples come to him and they have questions about what the, what the parable itself means, but also why Jesus continues to teach in parables like this. Uh, and so they come and they ask him that question and Jesus makes a statement to them uh, that before we move into the rest of this, uh, we, we need to address because this is a verse that is often taken out of context. And when it's lifted out of its context, out of this chapter, out of its connection to the parable and the interpretation of the parable all around it, uh, the meaning gets twisted and the meaning gets distorted. And at times people have used this verse in a way that becomes spiritually abusive to other people. So we want to address that quickly. Uh, verse 12 in Matthew chapter 13, uh, there's this statement that says, the person who has will be given more. And the person who has not, even what they have will be taken from them. And sometimes people will take this verse out of its context and use it to teach on material things, on physical things, on, uh, on wealth, financial wealth, and things like that. Um, and when it's taken out of context like that, uh, this becomes uh, not a tool for learning, but it becomes a weapon and it becomes undercutting to us. That's not what this verse is about. Uh, clearly, Jesus is telling his disciples as we look at what's happening around it, the context around it, Jesus is talking about the mysteries of the kingdom and the ways in which he's revealing the mysteries of the kingdom to them. And if they have the eyes to see and if they have the ears to hear, if they have the souls to receive it like good soil, then it will bring about growth in their lives. It will open up even more understanding. If you will grasp this understanding, then the person who has that understanding will be given even more. It's an invitation into deeper intimacy, into deeper wisdom, into deeper experience of the knowledge of God and the truths of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is getting at here. But some people will reject the teachings of Jesus. Some people will refuse the instruction of Jesus based on their own spiritual pride. They don't think they need it. They shut him off. They reject him. And what happens in that case is those who, who reject that understanding, even the little understanding that they have, will begin to decay and will begin to wither away in their lives. So this is what Jesus is talking about. Uh, those who are open, those who are hungry for the mysteries of the kingdom, those who are willing to walk in obedience and in the rich instruction of the teachings of Jesus, the, their lives ahead of them look like a winding, beautiful trail and this wide open road that Jesus is going to lead them down into more and more mystery and into more and more knowledge. But those who refuse that and those who turn their backs to Jesus will find themselves not facing a road of lifelong learning and movement into mystery, but instead if they turn their backs on Jesus, what they'll find is that they are facing a rock wall and they have a dead end to their road before they even take their first step. So that's what Jesus is getting at here. And that's what Jesus is challenging all of us in 
to have eyes that are open, ears that are open, minds and hearts and souls that are open to receive the word so that he can bring about growth in our lives. Are you willing to submit and to surrender to his teaching, to his instruction, to his yoke, as as we talked about a few weeks back, and to walk in the freedom of that yoke that he offers us? As Jesus explains this parable uh, to his disciples, uh, he talks about the different kinds of soils and what they actually mean. And so this image that we get first of the seed that falls along the path as the sower is extravagantly uh, sowing out this seed in the field, uh, the seed that falls along the path, it says that the birds come along and eat the seed. And he says, this is like the evil one who comes and steals away the truth before it even has a chance to take root in a person's heart. What, what does he mean when he's talking about this hardened path where the evil one comes and steals? Uh, one of the things that we recognize and realize about the reality of Satan uh, and the enemy that is in our lives um, is that Satan does not have the power to create. Satan only has the power to corrupt. And so Satan will take truth and twist it into lies um, and, and, and will come at you with that weapon. Um, and as Jesus describes the, the, the birds stealing away and the evil one, the enemy coming and stealing away this truth before it has a chance to even take root in our hearts. Uh, part of what comes clear to me and part of what I see in this uh, is that the path um, is a beaten down place. The path is a place of hardened ground. And how does that ground become so hardened? Because it's been walked on over and over and over. And oftentimes in our lives, one of the places where the enemy will zero in on us is in these places of hurt in our lives. These places where we feel like we've been treated unfairly or we have been treated unfairly, where we've been hurt, where we've been injured. And the enemy will zero in on this and will exploit that hurt as a way of stealing away growth in your life. This is part of what he does. The enemy always wants to exploit your hurt. Jesus wants to heal it. Jesus wants to heal it, but the enemy doesn't want you to trust Jesus. The enemy doesn't want you to believe that Jesus is able to heal it. And so instead of having the courage to open up your heart and to surrender to Jesus and allow him to work healing in our lives, instead we believe the lies of the enemy that he can't be trusted and that if we open ourselves up to Jesus, then he will hurt us just like everyone else has. He will exploit your hurt, but Jesus wants to heal your hurt. The enemy will convince you that he can't be trusted. And in the process, he will harden you even more. But Jesus is gentle and he can be trusted. Again, as we talked a few weeks back, he describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. I know that that is a strange word to use about the God of the universe, the all-powerful God of the universe, to call him gentle and to think about the ways that Jesus can take our 
our hurt and move it from hardened into a place of healing through that work of gentleness in our lives. It's strange to think about the God of the universe, all-powerful God, as a gentle God. But that's what Jesus, that's how Jesus describes himself. And that's who he tells us that he is. We can even look at this image of this parable that we're talking about today. And we can see the gentleness of Jesus alive, even in him choosing this image. If you're wanting to tell a story about a kingdom, a kingdom that has come uh, in all of its power and in all of its strength, a kingdom that has come to transform the whole world, is this the image that you would choose? I wouldn't. When I think about kingdoms, the images that come to mind for me are thrones and armies and castles and battles. That's the kind of image I would choose. And it's powerful to think about Jesus describing the kingdom as a sower with seed and soil instead of that, especially against the backdrop historically in which Jesus is teaching. The people knew about the kind of kingdom that comes in and wants to overthrow overnight and completely take things over and impose their will overnight. This is happening against the backdrop of the Roman Empire. But as Jesus is teaching us here, he's showing us the hidden revelation of the kingdom as opposed to the hyperbolic rhetoric of the empire. And we can see that difference. The empire comes in and wants to overthrow overnight. But instead, Jesus describes his kingdom in this way. It's not the usual image, but instead it's gentle, yet extravagant sowing of seed that seems simple and it moves slowly, but it ends up gently transforming the entire landscape in good time and in due season. This is the way that Jesus works and he can be trusted. The second kind of soil that he describes, uh, he talks about this rocky ground that the seed falls on where the soil is shallow and it, and it springs up quickly and there's this kind of flash to it. It springs up quickly, but it withers quickly. As soon as the heat comes on it, it has no root to sustain. It can't get its root down uh, quickly enough. It's just there in the topsoil and it doesn't go any further than that. And so at first it looks like quick growth is happening, but then it ends up withering. Difficulty snuffs it out as soon as the difficulty shows up. We understand that in Christianity, enthusiasm is never going to be enough. We've been around people who have an encounter with Jesus and there's this enthusiasm that sparks in them, but the time isn't taken to let the roots go down deep. And we see that flare and we see that flash disappear quickly. What Jesus is after in us is not speed. What Jesus is after in us is not flash. What he wants is depth, depth of growth in our lives. There's an author named Richard Foster, fantastic book, uh, very shaping in my life called The Celebration of Discipline. And he makes this statement, the world doesn't need talented people. The world doesn't need impressive people. What the world needs is deep people. 
And I think the world is desperate to see that right now. The third kind of soil that Jesus talks about here, he says that the seed falls among soil where the thorns uh, grow up and choke it out before it really even has a chance to grow. Choked off completely by competing affections. What has our affection is going to end up getting our attention. And that's a challenge for every one of us right now. That's a challenge for every one of us. And Jesus is speaking directly to us and asking us what kind of soil our hearts are. Um, Do we have divided hearts? Do we have distracted minds? The kingdom is wanting to take root in us, but it will require that attention of our affections and to not allow all of the competing affections to choke out the growth that he's trying to bring about in our lives. And the last kind of soil that he talks about is the good, is what he calls the good soil. And the seed that falls on the good soil, it takes root and it's cultivated into growth and it brings about a harvest that he says is a hundredfold or 60-fold or 30-fold and brings about this significant harvest. The seed is cultivated into growth beyond what we could imagine with potential unleashed for generations of harvest beyond even that moment. And in a culture in which we are obsessed with the surface. We realize that the kingdom is an underground movement and that what is happening underground will soon become groundbreaking. There are two different audiences that are receiving this parable um, and that it's actually addressed to. Uh, The obvious one is the crowd. We understand that, all the people that are listening. Uh, And we're going to dig a little bit more into that in just a moment. Uh, But first, I want to talk about the second audience uh, and the less obvious audience for just a moment here. Um, And that would be the audience of the disciples themselves, just that core group that is around Jesus, the followers of Jesus. Um, And Jesus is giving the interpretation of the parable to them when they ask its meaning. Um, But also there's a a sense in which the whole parable uh, is for them and is to be an encouragement to them. As we look at the larger context of the Gospel of Matthew, the larger story that's unfolding here, uh, if we look back just a few chapters, we'll see that Jesus at the end of chapter 9 says to his disciples, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest field. For the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are are few. Some of us uh, every day at 9.38, because this statement is made in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, uh, an alarm goes off on our phones and it's a reminder to pray for workers for the harvest. And so uh, as the disciples hear Jesus say that, uh, the next thing that happens in the immediate passage following at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sends them as workers out into the harvest field. And so the disciples are sent out, commissioned and sent out to take the good news of the kingdom, the good news announcement that the kingdom is here and that Jesus is the king uh, out into all of these different communities. And so they carry that message and Jesus lets them know before he sends them. And now he's encouraging them after he's sent them. The reality is this, 
that as you sow the word of God and the truth and the good news of the kingdom out into the world, not everyone is going to respond to it in the same way. And so part of this parable is meant to encourage them and to teach them about what they just experienced. Also to teach them uh, that Jesus himself is experiencing the same thing. We see at this point in Matthew, the opposition building against Jesus. Some are responding, uh, but most are not. And it is actually causing this opposition that is growing against Jesus. Some of the crowds are those uh, who are like um, the shallow ground, that they're drawn to Jesus at the first. But as soon as that opposition starts to come against him, that growth starts to wither away. And we'll see that happen in the ministry of Jesus. So that's the first audience. But really, uh, we're going to zoom in on the second audience, the crowd as a whole um, and us. And Jesus is talking to us, not about what happens when we spread the word and when we sow the word out into the world, but more what happens when his word is sown into the fields of our own souls, the soil of our own souls. And so for the rest of our time together, we're going to ask that question. In our band meetings, our discipleship bands, we often ask the core and key question, how is your soul? And today we're asking that question, how is your soil? All right. And so that's where we're going to be for the rest of the time together. Uh, this week in our Tuesday night Bible study, the story, uh, we broke our normal pattern and we took this parable and we worked through it together. So thank you to everyone in that Bible study for helping to shape this message today. I really appreciate it. Um, and so as we worked through that together, it was so beautiful and so powerful to hear the insight, to see the open eyes and open ears and open souls um, as people were responding to Jesus's teaching here. A few of the things that really stood out to me, the insight that they brought to this parable um, is this. At first, uh, before we really got into the interpretation of the parable that Jesus gives us, at first, there was a lot of frustration in the group towards the sower himself. And there was a sense of frustration about the way that the sower seemed to be careless and seemed to be reckless in the way that he was throwing out the seed just anywhere and didn't seem to care where the seed was going to land and what kind of ground the seed was going to land on. And someone made the statement, it seems like the sower... Uh, is one of the negative factors that we see all of these different negative factors that get listed in the soil. But someone made this statement. It seems like the sower is one of the negative factors because of this careless, reckless, tossing us into bad soil where we can't grow. And the question also got asked, and I love the vulnerability and the beauty of this question. Do you even care where I land? Do you even care where I land? But as we began to dig into it more and it became clear who the sower not only represents, but also as it became clear, the not reckless, but the generous and extravagant way that the sower was spreading that seed everywhere, then that started to shift and the response started 
to shift. And someone made the statement, so the seed in the story is not me being thrown out, but the seed is the word. And that started to shift the way that was seen, not as reckless and careless, but as generous and extravagant. And then this statement got made. I love this. It's so beautiful. It says it becomes a dreadful reality then to God, that this story actually becomes a dreadful reality for God in his overabundance of love and generosity to know that that love and generosity is going to get trampled on again and again and rejected again and again. It was a powerful experience. So thank you to everyone who was a part of shaping that, which leads to then the, the, the central question here that we have to wrestle with today. And that is how does the soil change? How do we move from rocky soil or from the path or from the shallow soil into the good soil? How does that change actually happen? And so I reached out to one of my friends and one of our friends who's a part of this church community. Uh, Andy and Jess Shaver uh, are farmers and they, they run Haven Farms. It's in Chapel Hill and just outside of town. Uh, beautiful, beautiful uh operation that they have going on and you need to look them up there at a lot of the local farmers markets on the weekends um, but I reached out to my friend Andy that I've known for probably 25 years and uh, I asked him as a farmer to give some insight into what this story is saying and into what it means and I love what he said back part of what he said about the good soil is this the good soil is a gift from God it's a wild and natural wonder. It's teeming with all kinds of hidden life, bacteria, fungus, millions of creatures show up in a shovel of good soil, in one shovel of good soil. And he made the statement, it is unfathomably full of life in the good soil. And he goes on to say this though, it is something that when it's not healthy, it can be restored. It can be brought back to life. That good soil in farming can be neglected or it can be damaged. But when that happens, it can be healed. It can be restored. It can be cared for and cultivated back into health after the damage or the mistakes that were made in the past. And he goes on to say this, it can be improved, it can be raised or, dare I say, resurrected by a good steward of the land. There is so much hope in that statement right there that it can be resurrected by a good steward of the land. So the work in this passage and the work that gets done in this parable, it, it doesn't, the work doesn't belong to the soil. The work belongs to the sower. And it's the sower who can heal that land, who can be intentional about breaking the hard ground and about bringing it into restoration and transforming it into rich, good soil, ready to receive the seed of the word so that growth can take place. As we're closing out here, just a few things to think about this week and, and ways to apply this. Uh, number one, I want to challenge you with this word right here, surrender, surrender. 
Yes, the work in this passage belongs to the sower, but you're invited into that. You're invited to participate in that. And unlike the field that in this, in this uh, passage is, is passive, right? Everything in the parable gets elevated when you translate it into real life. The sower is a good sower, but when you realize we're talking about Jesus, that image gets elevated. Uh, the seed is, is creative seed. But when you realize it's talking about the very word of God, that gets elevated. And in the same way, the soil can be rich. But when we're talking about, when we realize the translation into real life is us, then it's not just a passive receiving, but we become this living, it gets elevated to this living, moving, mobile fields in which the kingdom is being sown. So we can participate in our work in that, our work of participation is surrender. Surrender is not a passive thing. Surrender is not something that is imposed on us, but instead it's something that we engage with and it's something that we offer to God to surrender ourselves to him and ask him to break the hard ground where it needs to be broken, to replenish and to nourish the ground where it needs to be healed, to rebuild, to restore after seasons of loss or neglect or abuse in the fields of our lives. We surrender to his work. The work is his, but he invites us into it. Over the past year, we have all gone through a season of difficulty. We have all walked through this and we've walked through it together, but we've experienced it in different ways and at different levels to different extents. And God doesn't force that difficulty in your life. And God is not the author of everything that is happening, all of this difficulty that has happened around us. He's not the cause of a pandemic. He's not the cause of these things falling apart. But because he is the good steward of the land, he can take that difficulty and use it to break the ground in our lives and to use even that, to redeem even that, to bring us into a place that is ready to receive the word, into a place of prepared ground where growth can happen. We think about the past year so often but let's think about the year before it too. And uh, some of us were talking this week in the realization that in the full year before a pandemic hit and before all that we've been through together, for a full year, we felt the Lord pressing us to set aside that year as a year of prayer. And he used that plow of prayer in our lives to get us ready for what we have walked through together. He's the good steward of the land. He knows what needs to happen. And as we look back and we see the way that he used that year of prayer, and as we can even see the way that he's brought about transformation through such a year of difficulty, and we've seen growth even through such a year of difficulty, then we have trust and hope in what lies ahead for us as a church family together, as he continues to prepare the ground but also we're sensing leading us into a season, not just a preparation, not just a breaking ground, but of planting and of harvest. And that's what we're praying for. Please keep praying for that with us. We need to experience that 
together. One other piece here for the first word is surrender. The second word is rest. Um, as Jesus is speaking this parable into this agrarian culture and drawing this image of the parable out of this agrarian culture. Uh, it's part of the ancient farming practices of the Jewish people and not just their, their, what they practice, but it's written into the law for them by God himself. Uh, this, this practice of allowing the land to rest that as they practice farming, uh, they're rotating the crops, they're rotating the fields in a way uh, that the ground itself, that the land itself is allowed to rest so that future harvest is made possible. So there's this time of restoration with an eye towards future growth and harvest. I wanna share real quickly here uh, that I am coming to one of those places for myself. It's one of those seasons for me. Um, and as we've walked through together over this last year and then time extending before that, some of the things that we've been through together uh, as a church family and beyond that, other things as well. Um, I'm coming to a season where I, I'm going to take some rest. I'm going to step back uh, over the summer um, after we begin our regathering time. Uh, I'm excited to celebrate that all together. And then after we begin regathering, I'm going to take a respite time, a step back um, and a time of rest. So thank you in advance uh, for the way that you're going to embrace that uh, and encourage that. Thank you to our core team and other leaders and staff who have not only embraced that, but encouraged that and championed that means so much. Um, and I'm really grateful for the kind of church family uh, that loves each other so well. Um, and I feel the support in that. The last word here, Surrender, rest, and then the last word of challenge. It's as simple as it gets. It is so simple, but I want to challenge you with it over the course of this next week. It's the word look. Look. We're in springtime right now, and the world is alive all around us. And I want to challenge you over this next week as we've been talking about the sower and the seed and the soil and the harvest that comes from that, I wanna challenge you over this next week to take note of all of the life that is happening around you. Wherever you walk, wherever you drive, as you're looking out your own window, take note of the life that is happening around you and notice how much of the beauty in your life began as a simple seed. And now you're seeing the later results of what you couldn't see at the beginning. You did not see the beginning of that. There was so much growth that was happening beneath the surface that you never saw. And now as you walk across campus and you walk under the mass of trees, that began as a seed. As you're working out in your garden and you're enjoying the beauty that you're experiencing and seeing, that all started as a seed. Everywhere you go, keep your eyes open to the way that life is blooming and thriving all around you. And remember where that started. And then ask the question, if he can do it with that, what might he do with me? 
as he sows the seed of the word, of the living word in my life, what kind of beauty, what kind of growth, what kind of harvest and fruit and blessing might come from what he is doing under the surface, even though I might not be able to see it right now. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. They will see and show the face. They will see and show the face. The face of God. The face of God. Blessed are the
Hello, friends. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. Just this past week, my daughters Riley and Avery and I got to harvest our first fruits from the garden that we have just out back. We got to pull our first radishes up out of the ground and bring them in to enjoy them. It was just a few short weeks before that that we planted those seeds in the ground in the soil that they would grow to this day that we get to harvest them and enjoy them. As I think about the parable of the sower, it reminds me of the truth that each of us is a sower, that each of us is planting seeds through our words and through our deeds. And just like we got to choose what seeds we planted in the ground, the radishes, the cucumbers, the peas, all of those fruits that would come from that. We got to choose those seeds that we put in the ground. In Proverbs, some of the wisdom literature in scripture, there are two types of seeds that are talked about, the two types of seeds that could be planted, seeds of injustice or seeds of righteousness. And so it tells us about the fruits that come from each of those types of seeds that are planted. And as we are each sowers and we go into this week, how do we ask that question of ourselves? What type of seeds am I planting? What type of seeds are you planting? Are you sowing seeds of injustice or seeds of righteousness? The beauty is that you get to choose the type of seeds that are in your pocket. So go and sow them abundantly. Sow the seeds that God has given you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.